Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. get hype after that intro music and you I don't know you must be on some Valium then I could use it right now the way my leg is feeling people what's going on side you catch the bingo I think you know that by now since you tuned in so many times hope all is going well out there people are coming from the July 4th weekend over here in the states I'm coming live and direct from Valencia California <laughs> literally somewhere up north I'm actually uh we're doing on a location here, a little scouting. So I said, hey, I still got to do my show about Hollywood colorstruck or colorblind. Congratulations to the Netherlands for making it to the World Cup Finals. I believe they're going to be facing Spain. I think the Nether- I believe the Netherlands has defeated Uruguay. Thank God. I'm sure all of Africa was uh, on the Netherlands side. I think the score was a uh, 3-2 to two in favor of the Netherlands. And I believe Spain defeated Germany. I believe the final score was 1-0, which... I really want to see the footage of that game. Apparently, the German coach gave love to the Spaniards in reference to their mode of attack, since a lot of people thought that the Spaniards may sit back and play more of a defensive game on their side, being that the Germans was, you know, coming with the blitzkrieg. I mean, they were just, my God, my God, my God. I'm sure they were heavily favored, but it's not really. But you know what? The people that say uh, they're heavily favored usually are the people playing on the field. The heavily favored is the one that wants it more. Gets a lucky bounce. Unfortunately, speaking of bounces, you saw how England got robbed. You saw how Ghana got robbed. Two times the ball was in. It's really time for goal line technology to take out this stupidness of it interferes with the human element of the game. Give me a break. Ghana got robbed. England got robbed. A 2-2 game between England and Germany is different from 2-1. Ghana had it on lockdown. But again, they had an opportunity with the penalty kick off the top of the bar. And, ugh. We can't talk about it anymore. So let us get back to our flow here. I want to thank you, everybody, for all the emails I've been getting. I haven't even got a chance to really get through all of them in reference to our last show. And it seems to be a lot of debate. You know, most of it was basically um, just conversation and insight and things like that. A few people thought, as our, la- our listener last week did, or our last show did, that we about the really about Hollywood colorblind, color struck. Does it really make a difference who you cast in a role as long as the best actor? Or should um, consideration go to the fact that if it's a, a, a black folk uh, character or an Asiatic character or a European character, that someone from that race or ethnicity should play that role? What do you think? Talk to me. 646 595 2892. 646 595 2892. Or if you're listening to me live, you could always come into the chat, creeping in there, and talk to me that way. A lot of times I forgive even to go over to the chat side because I'm so busy on the phone side looking at all the emails. So I will definitely work on going back and forth. So let's kick it off here. There was a panel uh, New York Comic Con convention back uh, last year. I believe it just passed. 
And actually, this was referenced, there was a panel with uh, Asian creators and producers and writers and illustrators at this convention. And the subject of the uh, Avatar and uh, particularly The Last Airbender uh, came into discussion. So hopefully the audio is clear enough for you to check it out. And let's just go into uh, here we'll sit on the panel. Again, these are all Asian uh, writers and illustrators, and I believe self-publishers. There, there is, a, there, there is a time to stand up and say, "Hey, look at this! You know, look at, check this out!" You know, and um, and the great thing about, and I'll just throw this out. One of the great things about this thing is that the way these guys have built this is that these are all creator-owned projects, so folks can take these. This is a launching pad. You know, it's a way to get some attention. Everything needs a hook. You know what I'm saying? It's a way to get some attention and to say, "Hey, hey, hey!" And uh, but then. Each one of these individual stories can go on and do, each one of these characters can go on and do something more if, if that is where it's going to go. There'll be options for selling, they'll be cast for all white actors. Just one more thing about that. I think, circling back to what we said earlier, that's why criteria number one was tell a good story. And if, if the story is good, it doesn't matter what ethnicity the characters are. You know, it doesn't matter what ethnicity the reader is. If the story is good, the story is good, and they'll hold up on the phone. Speaking of Avatar, I just wanted to make a little um, comment about that. I think the big, just speaking personally, and I'll let everyone else respond on what they think. Personally, I think that um, in a situation where you have, a, you, the main argument is, well, it's a fantasy. They're not really Asian, so they can be anybody. But it's clearly, I mean, the, the, the show is clearly analogous to Asian culture, to Indian culture, to Native culture. So my, my major issue is that, and I, I had this conversation with someone in the audience, I won't name names, earlier, who said that, um, well, if we want to be able to play, have Asian American actors or African American actors play King Lear or play Hamlet, then we should let white actors play these uh, <coughs> Asian characters. But, but, but the counter argument to that is that, you know, there aren't opportunities for Asian Americans to play Asian Americans. So, you know, we should at least let have the opportunity to play characters that are clearly Asian. You know, and Jim Yang is the analogy of what if they cast, you know, Denzel Washington as Gandalf? I don't think too many people. Well, they're not really. They're not really. <laughs> 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 I think it'd be an awesome but, but I'm sure it would be an awesome if Frodo was, you know, Tracy Morgan. <laughs> Even though they're not really Asian, I mean, that's, that's arguable. I think that there aren't enough opportunities for Asian Americans to begin with, to be denied the roles that are clearly Asian. You know, and someone brought up 21 earlier, which is, if you're not familiar, based on a book about the Asian American MIT students, who all happen to like Jim Sturgis, taking uh, down Vegas, you know, the Vegas casino. I think if we're not given the opportunity to play Asian Americans, then, you know, there is no hope for us to play King Lear in the We have to be able to play the Asian characters first. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that we probably can't take any more questions because I'm sure they're kind of out of here. But I did want to say, okay, number one, the book is coming out mid-April. Number two, go to our website, www.secretidentities.org, and we're all also going to have these galleys at uh, 1908. Sorry about the audio. Hopefully you'll be able to hear it more clearly on your end. But it was kind of interesting that one of the points the gentleman was making was that black folk and other people like to be able to play King Lear and these other kind of roles. So conversely, shouldn't it be okay for Anglos to play black folk or other ethnicities? What do you think on that? Do you think it's a fair equation? Or does it go back to, well, let's, go, but let's bring it this way. You wonder what Bruce Lee is saying, considering that, you know, right now uh, in heaven, you wonder what, uh, what he is thinking that, and back Kung Fu, which a lot of people may not know, was the series that had the late David Carradine, was you know Bruce Lee's idea, and Hollywood, but Hollywood felt that uh, they weren't Hollywood was you know the society at large wasn't ready to see an Asian character in the lead role, particularly in the movies such as that, even though he's supposed to play a Buddhist monk, and I believe the Buddhist monks were, um, correct if I'm wrong, they were uh, Asian. So, and you know Bruce Lee said, okay, I'll just leave out of here. Even though I'm, you know, I'm American of, of Chinese descent and I was born in San Fran, I'm going to go back to my culture, my country, and be a big star there and have y'all ask for me to come back here. But you wonder what he's thinking or Mako. I believe is Mako still alive. I know one of the great actors passed away, but I don't think it was Mako. 
I last saw him in the Genghis Khan movie. But you wonder what Bruce and those guys would be saying that here it is 30 years later after uh, Kung Fu premiered that the issue of Asian casting is still coming up, that the issue of Asians not playing uh, roles that are worthy is coming up. The question for I have I'd like to put out there to the listeners um, is uh, the one thing I've always found troubling about anime is that I've noticed a lot of times when the anime character, like in Dragon Ball Z, when they power up to like godlike status, you know, their eyes turn blue and their hair turn blonde. So I'm wondering if, but I've always wondered, you know, why is that in the, why is there no criticism about that towards the creators of the anime projects, um, often by Asians uh, who create these projects, and where's the criticism towards that? Maybe that's here and neither here or there, but I think it's something we need to look at. Um, also, in a lot of these, particularly I've seen in Dragon Ball Z and some of these anime, anime shows, it's kind of funny that there's no protest about, you know, the way black folks are portrayed in those episodes. Particularly, I remember in Dragon Ball Z, the big eyes, the pink lips, and all that stuff. Yet, our, a lot of our people, our colleagues in race bending and stuff like that, will come into the black folk for support. So, I think sometimes it has to be a fair dialogue in reference to, you know, we can understand your cause, we can understand the mission that you're on, but at the same time, where's the support for how we're portrayed in your media? And let's hear from the man himself. Well, let's actually go somewhere else for a brief, brief moment. I believe the people from racebending.org, who I give love to for standing on their principles and going out there and advocating for what they feel was an injustice. I'm giving them love. I'm not people thinking, oh, I'm just mocking them. I'm not going to do that. What I'm saying is that I'm going to give them love because they went out there and stood their ground and said, we don't like this. Now, let's, I believe they were interviewed some time ago by, I uh, can't remember the website, but Joella, do you have that, that, that interview that they did with, uh, it's escaping me at the moment. Please bear with me because I'm really trying to think. I think it was with uh, Black Lava. So let's see what they have to say. I think it's a minute interview here. Today, you know, uh, we're going to try to get some video of uh, Mike and Darianne. Uh, from race bending, <laughs> and they're here. Actually, they weren't expecting this. They're, no. they're just, we're just gonna kind of just talk Catch about. Up. It's kind of this huge rush mm-hmm. of Comic Con, right? All kinds of things happening left and right, and so we were just getting, we were new to this. We had no idea what we were doing, and we took a bunch of flyers. The gentleman from race bending actually gotten printed for us. Okay. And we handed out these 15,000 flyers. 15,000 so like, flyers? Yeah. But, like, we left them on the freebie table at Comic-Con. We handed them out in front of the Nickelodeon booth. That's pretty awesome. Like, it, it was, like, right by, like, one of the entrances mm-hmm. to the to the main exhibit hall. And we, like, stood there, and we were just handing stuff out. There's this crowd around us, and, like, they are like, why should we boycott this movie? And we tell them, like, all right, yeah, I'm all for it. And they, like, signed a name. Pretty awesome. Oh, that's awesome. So, I thought for sure they would kick us out after 20 minutes or something. And a couple hours went by, and no one was bothering us. Yeah. I was like, man, this is awesome. And, and, like, the workers at the Nickelodeon booth were like, they saw us, and they were walking mm-hmm. around. And yeah. And they still didn't say anything. Yeah, Yang oh, and Derek yeah. Kim. Yeah. Those guys got shirts from us. And there's pictures of them. Like, uh, I think Gene Yang wore the, the shirt to the pan- like one of the panels he did. So everyone who was at the panel saw it, obviously. Yeah. And then um, and then one of the guys from Penny Arcade wore the shirt. Oh, yes. Like, for a whole day. And so Yeah. And so, like, there's pictures of him on Wikipedia. Like, their Penny Arcade Wikipedia picture <laughs> is of him in the race penny shirt. Yeah. Wow. So that's really cool. He, like, he's all for it. You know, we, like, we even got to interview... Um, Jerry Hawkins. Yeah, Jerry Hawkins. We interviewed him about it, and he was like, "Yeah, like, you know, I understand where you guys come from." So, like, he did a lot of research. Yeah, um, I mean, they they published this huge comic on the internet. They were probably one of the most vocal people who spoke out against okay. race bending, or on the side of racebending.com uh, when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Now, um, again, we want to make sure I mean, we're just using the Airbender and Prince of Persia as a catalyst for the conversation. It's not just about you know Asians being miscasted or what have you. It goes uh, really deeper than that. I remember also there was the outcry by our uh, Japanese brothers and sisters when I believe Chinese women were casted to play geishas in the movie Memory of a Geisha. I believe Steven Spielberg directed that or he produced it. I believe he directed that. Correct. So it's it's not just something internal in reference to an Anglo and non-Anglo perception or POV. 
is something that goes a little deeper. And again, is there even a point of discussion? What do you think? Is there even a point of discussing the fact that this happens? I mean, there was no when Tom Cruise played the German who attempted to assassinate uh, Hitler back in the day. I didn't see any outrage. But then again, I don't live in Germany. Maybe the Germans were saying, um, look, this guy's not one of us. You know, he's uh, uh, Anglo from America. We're German. So maybe some people can't understand that line there, but I have a lot of friends from Germany who, who I understand exactly what they meant when they say that. But maybe the Germans did protest that Tom Cruise playing uh, this gentleman who was uh, in the uh, who was trying to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler. Conversely, you know, we come back and we look. We mentioned it last, you know, the last show where Angelina Jolie was playing the young lady. I think was Daniel Pearl's widow in A Mighty Heart. She was obviously of ethnicity. But they basically just darkened her up a little bit to make her, you know, a little bit extra dark and lovely in reference to this, uh, the, the play the character. Convert, since I, which is very ironic, since I know a few actresses, uh, that young lady from, um, whose name is Faith Escaped Me, from, uh, uh, what was that show, uh, that medical show George Clooney was on, it escaped me at this moment, I can't believe it. But uh, it's on at night. That medical show Clooney was on for a little while. I think it's off air or nothing like that. But uh, there's an actress on there who looked exactly like the lady, Daniel Pearl's widow. Uh, I don't know why I can't remember that. ER. <laughs> I don't watch that show. It's called ER. But since we're talking about dark and lovely, what was the controversy about when uh, Robert Downey Jr. portrayed the brother in Tropic Thunder? Some people thought it was funny. Some people didn't think it was so funny. Let's see what we'll say about that. Now, one of Danny McBride's co-stars in Tropic Thunder is Robert Downey Jr. And it's already been just a ridiculous summer for Downey with, of course, Iron Man. But in Tropic Thunder, he's got a brand new look. He's a little different looking, isn't he? Very different looking, uh, Mike. Uh, The new look is correct, and he's taking race relations to a whole new level. Downey also told me why this is a movie everyone will be talking about. I believe you people. What do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? Robert Downey Jr. is known for taking chances in his acting career, but in Tropic Thunder, he went the distance. Things are kind of going your way in a huge way. I can't wait for this movie to be out and for people to be talking about it and seeing it and bringing their friends and family. And talk about it, they will. Downey plays an actor who, with the rest of the cast, goes to the jungle to make a war movie. Except that Downey's white actor goes to great lengths to become his black character. Critically acclaimed Australian actor Kirk Lazarus underwent a controversial procedure in order to play the platoon's African-American sergeant. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. To see how brave he was to just go in and and be this guy and and really commit to it with no sort of guarantees that it was even going to work. You know, back before the war broke out, I was a saucier in San Antonio. I'm not saying this in a blow smoke way. You've nailed it beyond belief. Did you know it when you were doing it? Uh, yes, when we were doing it, I knew that I was in the zone. It's not an ego thing, it's just whatever I did, I did enough and trained hard enough to be in the zone for this game on this day. Does it make you embrace it more or question it more? I always questioned having a summer of love where you have huge success and all this stuff, because usually I'd see my friends after those and they've changed in a way that I wouldn't say I appreciated. I love this phrase, summer of love. How much a departure does that feel from, I don't know, five or six summers ago? I can't recall much of anything but having had a, a good life and a successful career. Don't you die on me, Foley! <laughs> sorry, can we cut? <laughs> He's overcome a lot to get back on top. He's really a nice, nice man, and, and, and good for him for overcoming all he's overcoming this tremendous success. And he is fantastic, of course, in Iron Man, and his, every, every time he speaks in this movie, it's hysterical. It's very funny. Yeah. Uh, they didn't see any controversy in reference to uh, him. Obviously, uh, for those that don't know, Tropic Thunder, they're making a war movie, and Robert Downey Jr. is playing, I believe, a German character or a European character, something like that, who's Anglo, obviously, who's hired, and he's made to be, he's made, you know, I guess some special procedure, made to portray a black man in this particular movie, which everybody says the comedy and stuff like that. So when he said, when when one of the gentlemen who's Anglo, one of the officers says to Robert's character, you know, you people, that's what Robert says back to him, you people, what do you mean by you people? Now, you heard the second guy say, what do you mean by you people? Well, that's an actual black man 
in the background talking to Robert Downey, talking about what do you mean, you people? Don't forget who you are now. So that's where that's coming from. And ironically, when they approached uh, Downey about that, he had talked about, um, I don't have the quote here. I may have it somewhere. Uh, Joel, can you see if we can find that quote that uh, Downey said about Sensor the Role, where he said, you know, as an actor in free speech and the First Amendment, I have the right to play any kind of roles I want to and do what I want to do. So that's his perception. And can you argue with that? Because let's look at, let's look at a little bit of this. Uh, outside the Irish, how they were portrayed back in the day. I believe Downey is an Irish name. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of the Anglos really under, have, have ever been able to walk in the shoes of the people that they're hearing the criticism for, the from, the Asian black folks or what have you. It could be the Judea community, always portrayed as money grubbers or whatever. So for them, it sometimes, you know, it's, okay, you're playing the race car, it's just art. Conversely, um, I think when you come up in a society where all the images of you are not exactly the beacon of hope, you're very defensive when someone is marginalizing you or someone's insulting you. But is it fair in reference to even, we'll say race, how about disability? Because in the movie Tropic Thunder, they were always calling the disabled people retard. And there was a protest about that in New York where the people, and this really touched my spirit, and I get a little emotional about it because I saw the footage itself, where a, this guy was a quadriplegic who will be speaking this piece we're about to bring up to you, was speaking about how they're portraying them, you know, the disabled and the mentally handicapped as nothing and less than and things like that. And I didn't see any or any, I didn't hear any or see any support from the black community, the Asian community, or anything like that for them. And I think we have to, if things are to be effective, there needs to be a rainbow coalition, so to speak, of people coming together and unifying their strength in reference to some injustice that is, that is perceived or slight that is given. Such as, you know, again, that goes to immigration. When I talk about the fact that a lot of the Latino advocates don't reach out to the other immigrants' communities, the blacks, you know, the Jamaicans, the Africans, the Europeans, Asians, what have you, the Pacific Islanders, they don't. And I think that's why there's a big struggle on that issue in reference to getting, quote, unquote, immigration reform. But there was a protest by those people in New York, not those people in a derogatory name uh, way, but the people, the mentally disabled and what have you, who didn't appreciate how they were portrayed. And I think we need to give them a voice. Do we have that over there, um, Joella, that file? Coming out okay, of the new see. movie Tropic Thunder. They were not, however, there, there to see it. Instead, protest it for what they claim are highly offensive and inappropriate jokes against the mentally disabled. Jen Maxfield's at the theater in Chelsea where the protest took place. Jen. That's right, and Liz, that movie Tropic Thunder opens nationwide today, and disability rights groups are protesting, saying they fail to see the humor in a character called Simple Jack, who is referred to in the film repeatedly as a, quote, retard. Several dozen people gathered outside a movie theater in Chelsea tonight to protest the movie Tropic Thunder. In it, the words retard and retarded are used 17 times. Every time the word retard is used, it's used to hurt, it's used to demean, it's used to victimize. People with disabilities are not going to be victims anymore. This time we're fighting back. 23-year-old Fred Joe, who has cerebral palsy, says he's heard the word used behind his back countless times, but knowing it's on the big screen in a summer blockbuster makes it much worse. It makes me feel less than a human being. You know, it really hurts my, my, my heart. Tropic Thunder premiered in Hollywood Monday night to more protests. A spokesman from DreamWorks, which produced the film, said previously that no changes or cuts to the film would be made. And one of the movie's stars, Robert Downey Jr., said, quote, You know, if I want to protest something because it offends me, that's my right as an American. And it's also any artist's right to say and do whatever they want to do, end quote. Suffice it to say, no one in this crowd finds Downey's version of comedy very funny. So the fact that they didn't consult anyone with a disability is a joke. After disability rights groups complained, DreamWorks did pull a promotional website that highlighted Ben Stiller's controversial character. Protesters out here today say they don't expect people not to see this satire movie. They just want them to think twice about just how hurtful that word can be. We are live tonight in Chelsea. I'm Jen Maxfield, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Color blind or color struck. 
And do we just focus on the racial aspect or the ethnic, the ethnic casting of movies? Or do we have to go beyond that and see how people are being uh, demonized from their, point, from their point of view, their POV? And again, it comes. Hollywood is Hollywood colorblind. Does Hollywood just cast the best actors? Would that explain Prince of Persia? Would that explain The Last Airbender? It was ironic that because considering that both films basically flopped for the amount of money that was spent on them, you look over there at the, uh, the Karate Kid that had Jaden Smith and uh, Jackie Chan that was basically laying waste to the box office. Now, of course, again, the POV for a lot of black folks, you can, hey, you can see, you know, a young, a young black child can carry a movie, you know, conversely, the Asian people are saying, you know, look, Jackie Chan is a megastar. Jaden's not. So, but again, you know, everybody wants to see the movie. It was promoted well. It was promoted with a good structure. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen a couple of clips of it. So, again, um, it's Hollywood colorblind or color struck. Me, I'm asking you the question, but if you're asking my point of view, I can see it from the producer's point of, you know, for the producer's eye. When you're drawing X-Men, do you want Jim Lee or Howard Simpson or you want um, uh, Mark Silvestri or Tommy Farland? Do you, want, do you want them on the book that you know will generate sales? Or do you want to get like, you know, Bob James or Marcus Jenkins or, you know, Sam Weisenberg to draw the book? And they're just getting into the, into the game. It's all about business from a producer's point of view. You know, if you're investing $117 million in a movie like uh, uh, The Last Airbender, you want to make sure that money is returned. That's just in production. That doesn't include the marketing and advertising. So, you know, and that's another conversation we'll have in reference to producing. So, again, I believe Hollywood tends to a lot of people just have you. They don't. So how can they, you know, look at Avatar? You know, the big criticism about that was, once again, we have the Anglo going down to wipe out the, the natives, and he, 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 he finds the true meaning of life and switches sides and fights against his own people. How many times have we seen that movie? And there was a lot of outcry from black folks out there in sci-fi land and what have you. You know, so, you know, and it was kind of, my only issue with Avatar was that the guy, you know, the lead girl the, of the Navi, I can't remember her name was, she's like nine feet tall. The lead guy who's Anglo is, I believe, uh, uh, six foot one. Now, this, his, his people, <laughs> because of him, to, to a certain extent, caused the lead female, Zoe's character, the father to be, uh, to be killed, the tree of life to be destroyed, the people, the Navi, to be scattered to the wind. And she finds out that the guy she's in love with is a fraud. He's not really blue skin. He's some little Anglo guy that's about three feet shorter than him, and she still wants to get with him. But that's not the issue altogether. So, people, let's take a little musical, a little commercial break here, and then we will definitely come back into the groove here. Let's do a unification of something. What do you want, Joella? You pick it this time, all right?
Now, you want to talk about race bending. It was always the issue of Prince when he first came up. You know, what is he? Is he black? Is he Latino? What is he? You know, <laughs> and, you know he never really addressed that. He basically said, hey, my mom was, I think his mom was Latino and his dad was black. And he's like, here I am. You know, so it's very interesting where you see these situations pop up in a conversation. Now, a lot of um, people you know, have been talking about M. Night Shyamalan, and I believe there was an interview of that he actually did where he spoke about the casting, and I believe Joella uh, has that with, I believe she has that in the queue here. So coming back on this side of Little Red Corvette, I believe we can lose. Joella, where is that interview you have of M. Night where he talks about the airbending controversy? So let's see what he had to say about this whole scenario. Uh, we have to validate the veracity of his comments. So here we go. So one of the biggest questions we get on a regular basis sure. whenever we write about this movie besides first is like tone questions yes. and then it's like myth of the inquiries. But this, the third question we always get is uh, casting inquiries. Yes. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but there are a lot of fans, some fans, that have had uh, casting issues with Soka and Tara oh, okay. and the Fire Nation. Right. I was wondering if you could finally address the right. questions that right. the fans have been concerned about the casting. Right. Well, here's the thing. You know, when I saw... The great thing about anime is that it's ambiguous. Uh, you know, the, the, the features of the, of the characters are an intentional mix of all features. It's intended to be uh, ambiguous. That's completely its point. And so when we watch Katara, my oldest daughter is literally like a photo double of Katara in a cartoon. She's a photo double sub. That means that Katara is Indian, correct? <laughs> so, but no, that's just in our house, right? And her friends who watch it, they see themselves in it. And that's just so beautiful about anime. And so when we were casting, I was like, you know, we're going to, I don't care who walks through my door. We're just whoever's the best of the parts. We're gonna, I'm going to figure it out based on that in a chess game. And, you know, ideally we separate the nations uh, ethnically, ideally. That would be my, but I don't know how and what it's going to be. Um, and it was so fluid, and as a cat, and really, for example, like, if you, if, if you found a, I'm saying, a great, uh, a great brother, but he didn't go with my favorite, you know, Katara, then that couldn't use him. Like, that theoretical things like that would happen. Or, um, you know, like there was a, there was an Ang that I really loved, but he was like hypertense, you know, and he was, you know, there's all kinds of issues that come to the table physically. Did, I kept having a board of like all the people that I was considering the seven or eight over here. Like there was a, a one time a, um, I think the the background was one was Chinese, um, uh, a guitar, and they were over here, and I was like, well, you know, one of them had a, was a better actor than the other. And so I was like, you know, gathering my uh, pros and cons and saying, let's say that was that, and what would the Fire Nation be? And you just, you know, do that. But being without agenda, letting it come to the table. So when, you know, Noah's like a photo double for the cartoon. I mean, he's literally spot on. So I was like, and to me, Noah, like, I, the best part is I didn't really know their background. And so I was like, Noah for me has a slightly mixed quality look to the team. So I cast the uh, airbenders as all mixed race. So they were all people that are, are, so when you see the monks and all that stuff, they're all mixed. Um, and it kind of goes with the nomadic culture that over the years, you know, they're all different nationalities came to the table. And then what ended up happening on the, the Fire Nation was the most complicated, because I, I kept switching who was playing Zuko. And it was like a, such a complicated and drawn out thing about practical matters. But actually the first person that I was considering for Zuko was I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe that would be the part. So I started thinking that way. And then when that person was going to do it, then uh, the second person who came in was much more uh, Caucasian. And then I was like, okay, well then we have to switch another. You know, it was like, I had, all right, now how are we doing this? And, and uh, what is the origination was always the issue with the, the second movie so dominated by, by that, that group and it will represent most of the movie. So, but has a small, small uh, part in the first movie. So that was important. Again, I'm thinking of it as a long-form part. And it just kind of came into being as, as it started to still, and then Dev came into it. Dev was really early on. He had auditioned for me, and he auditioned for me in London. And, you know, he's kind of like a sweet, sweet guy. And I was like, huh, but he's such a great reading. And I was like, I always go for the actor. You know, like I always go for the actor. You know, when I was doing Sixth Sense, he literally read the script six times. Dark hair, black eyes. He has. I always pictured the kids 
um, searching for Bobby Fischer as the lead of, of success. And I was like, we are not hiring any blonde LA kids, okay? That, don't even bring them in. Haley came in, you got a car. And I was like, you know, I'm like, we'll figure this out. How can you not have him play this part? And so my, that's always been my, my, uh, my theme is my hopes of what I want them to be. Um, my hope was that the movie would be incredibly diverse. Like, you know, when we look back on the three movies that, without the year, it was the most diverse movies of all time. Um, and that is the case when you look at it, when you watch the movies there. It's, uh, it's just, like, it's, and it's not well, like, a, again, the mic. like a picture of a kid's school and they have, you know, This nation has this ethnicity, and when we go deep into that culture, we'll see more and more of that. So in the end, when Devin ended up being my choice for, for Zuko, you know, I looked for uh, an uncle that could be uh, in that realm, and I thought about Kingsley, and that kind of thing. And, and Sean, who I loved him in Iron Man, Sean Hughes just loved him in Iron Man. And I was like, wow, this takes us into a kind of, uh, you know, Mediterranean kind of... Um, um, you know, Arab and Indian world, I can go as far as that. Like, that would be the, the breadth of it. And that's the Fire Nation has that kind of, that kind of look. And, uh, and then we would go over, and like, for me, Nicola, for me, had a lot, a lot of Russian qualities and European Russian qualities. So I was like, okay, that's what we're going to go here, over here. And this is it. Whoever I ended up with, I went, that's the nationality. And then Suki was Jessica, who's a, a mix of uh, Filipino and, and and so I was like, okay, now you know, the Earth Kingdom is going to be all Asian, so talk now will have to be, you know, Asian like that, you know. And so there, they suddenly came, and then I looked at the board, and I was like, this works for me. This works because I represent and there's a section of the Earth Kingdom that's African American. That so because it's such a big country, you know, such a big land, I felt like you could have some diversity in there as they travel through the different cities there. So more so than the show. It'll even have a much more diverse uh, uh, ethnic background to it, and so something that I'm not, it's not an agenda for me, but something I'm super proud of that that uh, you know that when my kids look at it or any kids look at it, they see themselves. Yeah. Well, there you go, and M Night Shyamalan's own words. So that's his fault. That's his fault. He feels that's the most diverse universe. Who? Who are people really criticize? People say, well, yeah, but this character is obviously Asian in the, in, the, in the series, and they made him Anglo. Well, you know, Kingpin is Anglo in Daredevil, and they made him black when they did the movie with Michael Clark Duncan. And I heard a lot of people saying that was great, you know, how he was moving forward to seeing the best actor. And one thing M. Night said, and I think a, a lot of people outside Hollywood don't understand what he, what he means, um, because a lot of people don't really understand the audition process, particularly when the director gets involved in the final stages of selecting, you know, the casting director, usually I believe the protocol is or the steps are that, you know, the casting director will call people, you know, uh, on the auditional will go out, stuff will come in, reels, uh, headshots, whatever. The casting director will go through that stuff and have, already have the notes what the director's looking for, the producer or what have you, or the writer, if they're the director. We'll call the people in, okay, nice to meet you. And I, I think they call it a meet and greet. I'm not an actor, but... I have a lot of active friends, and we have a meet and greet, and they say a few words, and there's always a lot of people, so they say very few words, and nice to meet you, okay, go on. They look at the tape later on, and they run the conversations, and they see who has the best flow, and they call them back in for a reading where they give them, the, you know, a size, and we don't mean like a side of a side of a corn or, or, or beans with your dinner. We mean size, which is basically a scene from the script, you know, uh, it could be one-line dialogue, what have you, but usually sides are referred to as a, um, uh, a, a, a section of the script. Now, the funny thing is that a friend of mine, when she went to her first audition, she was new to the game. She was newer than fresh, a fresh $100 bill. And they said, where's your, you know, they kept asking her, you know, where's your size? Where's your size? So she goes, well, I already ate. And they didn't know what she meant. But she didn't know what they meant either. She's like, no, we need, you know, how can you bring your size? She said, because I already ate them. So they're thinking she ate this, the script. She's not understanding that they're asking for the sheet of paper, you know, the, the scene from the script itself, whatever. So it was very interesting. I can't say it the way she said it, but it was hilarious. But anyway, back to the flow. So you get the size, and then you read, and the casting director likes you. She says, since it's the director, then the director comes down oftentimes. Either they'll come down or they'll look at the videotape or whatever, or the DVDs or stuff online. 
And the director oftentimes will make that decision, uh, you know, uh, basically the final decision uh, once they converse with the producer. Because the producer's like, okay, you may like this person, how much it's going to cost, this, that, this, that, what's their potential on the box office, and all those kind of things. Those, that's basically skimming over the, uh, the, 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 giving you an overview of how the whole process works. Now, M. Knight is saying that he's casting the best actor. Now, in the comic books, Nick Fury is clearly Anglo. And, in fact, they're talking about David Hasselhoff playing him in uh, any S.H.I.E.L.D. movie, anything like that. Yet, in the Iron Man movie, uh, they have Samuel Jackson portraying Nick Fury. I don't remember seeing the Anglos out there posting that move. I'm sure a lot of people say, hey, look, he's Anglo. Why are you making him black? And I'm sure a lot of black folks are saying, you know, hey, this is, this is Hollywood moving forward, taking the best actor for the role. And, you know, Samuel J is killing the, killing the role, except for an Iron Man 2. I think he's kind of lame. He's better than Iron Man 1. Now, again, M. Light, going by what he was saying, and we don't know what's in his heart, and a lot of us don't know him personally, but he's saying, I'm going for the best actor. I don't care who it is. And a lot of times that's something that's hard to quantify or define to a person that doesn't really understand the process of casting, particularly if you're directing a project and you've never directed or written or produced. That's just how hard it is. A lot of times they'll go for the best actor who delivers the line. Now, obviously, when they, now you wonder what folks would say, you know, uh, if they had Jesus looking like Denzel or they had Malcolm looking like Val Kilmer. You wonder what people be saying then. It'd be very interesting, you know, Brother Malcolm or Dr. King, whatever. Now, the thing is, that's what he was talking about, the best person possible. Those are his words. Now, is it for anybody to argue with that if that's what he's going by? And again, when Kingpin was made black, folks, when he was made black by, uh, portrayed by Mark Clark Duncan, I didn't see, you know, I heard a lot of people in the community in this situation here, uh, to this particular role, was applauding that move of Hollywood being colorblind. But it seems like when Hollywood's colorblind the other way and cast somebody that's of, the, not of, that, of that same ethnicity, there's an issue. Hollywood sees one color, and that is green. They're blind to every other color but green. That's the only spectrum they see. The, the, only, the other spectrum they don't want to see is red. <laughs> All right? They don't want to see red. And they're seeing it now with Prince of Persia. They're seeing it now with The Last Airbender. Now, did the protests have anything to do with that? Who knows? All I know is that every review of, of, of uh, The Last Airbender just basically said the movie sucked. And one particular guy, I think he was on AinaCoolNews.com, said it was, this movie is an offense to filmmaking. So, so maybe because the movie was bad, shot in the dark, you know, most of it was the dark, it was shot in the dark, and it was 3D. I mean, it's very hard to do 3D in the dark. Now, 3D for me has to be like Avatar when I could take off the glasses and you can clearly say, see, that it was a little bit out of focus and it was training your eyesight. But Airbender, who knows? So, you know, we've heard from M. Night. We've heard from people race bending. Let's see what people had to say at Comic-Con. Uh, earlier they were talking about Comic-Con, which is San Diego Comic-Con, which is basically the cons of, this, of the comic book industry where most of Hollywood goes down to premiere the movies and things like that. I think J.J., J.J. Abrams is going to bring his flick down there. I, I'm not sure what it's called. Area 57, something along those lines. Not too sure. But it's a big event. It takes place every July in San Diego, San Diego California. And I will be there uh, myself and Howard, who's directing a project we're working on, Hammer Down. Actually, it's called the uh, Bucharest Protocols. And the other side is called the Elysium Protocols. So go to my Facebook, and you can see some behind-the-scenes footage. Some were actually found on another website, so I'm actually be cracking down on people, uh, bringing cameras on the set. Uh, you know, Javon Johnson, Sufi Bradshaw, Koya Webb, Tamiko Brownlee, uh, Jennifer Duraghi, Jesse Graff, you got Sean Charney doing the uh, choreography. That guy's that guy's awesome. You know, we got Foster on the on the DP on the uh, the color scheme. You know, Brian on the crew doing what he does. Uh, we have our friend Lorenzo and uh, Tammy Washington, Ingrid Walters. We have a few people in the groove. Um, but obviously, we're not going to talk about the project's about. But um, myself and Howard will be down to do some promotional stuff in reference to that project. But that's what San Diego Comic Con is. It's a big, massive show. It goes on for four days, and if you're never, if you've never been there, it can be very overwhelming when you do it for the first time. Because it's nothing like pe- it's nothing but people. It's not like Anime Expo, which is a little more lighthearted, like people that have fun and things like that. You can feel the love in the air, and people that have a good time. You don't feel the oppression as you do when you go to San Diego Comic-Con just by the sheer number of people in one area. Oh, my God. But uh, let's see what people have to say about this whole scenario with Airbender. And, again, Airbender is just a, 
is just an example of this whole conversation about Hollywood's color blind, color struck. That's what people have to say. Again, I'll tell you, Hollywood only cares about green. The color they don't want to see is red. They don't see anything going broke. And looking at Prince of Persia and uh, Last Airbender, they're seeing a lot of red right now with anger. Let's hear what some people have to say at San, San Diego. I'm the huge fan. Of the Avatar cartoon, and when I heard about the live action movie, of course, like everybody else, I was very, very excited about it. I saw Avatar like, and that show really helped me feel like America was opening it up, was opening up. I really like how positive it was. And then I heard they were making a movie, and I thought, oh, this movie can be really great. It can really open things up. I'm part of the movement because I think that. The casting of this Avatar movie is a step backwards from what we were. I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I think it's just completely appalling. There's no excuse for it. But when I started to investigate the, the controversy, I ended up falling into a pretty deep well of, <laughs> of anger and resentment um, around it. Like, I just, I had not understood how sophisticated the dialogue was on that topic. It's such a shame, too, with something like Avatar, which the show itself was so forward-thinking in so many different ways, including issues of race and gender and stuff like that, that for the film to do the complete opposite just loses the entire spirit of the show. I felt because of how in my childhood he has an ancient background uh, in India. I thought he would be able to understand and he could bring that in, and then I saw the casting and he did I was actually uh, very cold. Um, one of the first things that you hear about Avatar is how much research went into it to make it authentic. And yet, it was done by white guys, but it was done with complete respect for culture. And it just, to whitewash this into me. It seems to kind of reduce it to just fetishizing the culture yeah. all over again, rather than actually having any kind of concern for it. This stuff is so blatant and rampant, and I'm really surprised to see it. We have an African-American president now, and we can't even somehow countenance the Asian, you know, people in movies about, you know, Asian things. I think it's a little sad. I think that Asian-Americans um, are funny and smart and interesting and uh, good actors as well, and they can, uh, they can be as good as the rest. So it is a little silly to me that uh, that entire that entire show, a uh, movie, got recast with, uh, with white folks. Uh, but you know, white people are they're, they're, uh, they, they need to leg up in society because they're really oppressed. Uh, so it makes sense. I get it. You know, let's give them let's give them a leg up. Unfortunately, I think the way the casting's gone, that movie will just be the strongest statement that we've heard in recent years of how Asian culture is accepted by American society and Asian culture is uh, financially successful for American society, but Asian faces are not. Asian faces are not acceptable and not uh, financially marketable. I think there's a lot of things that are going into this, not only just that people are like, well, people of color don't sell, um, where they're feeling that, you know, if you're, if you're of the majority, if you're white, if you're male, if you're whatever, you're not going to be able to sympathize with someone who's not going to back But, like, the success of Avatar is on television have just proven that to be completely wrong. So, without taking, by having an established in an intellectual property like Avatar, where you have a built-in fan base, you have this awesome opportunity to sort of push that barrier, and now they're just I think Paramount really missed a good opportunity here to um, recognize that their audience isn't just completely white and isn't very, like, ethnocentric. And I think movie studios really need to start realizing how diverse the U.S. is and how diverse the, you know, the national audience is. What um, young kids are looking at these days and what could have been portrayed in a, a movie like this is just sad that the opportunity is now missed again. Well, what am I going to show my kids that are going to have someone that looks like that? For our children's sake, we really need to have them become more aware of different cultures and to accept the different cultures. I don't know, I just feel like the movie studios are behind the times and they're not realizing that, that our culture is moving on and there's hundreds of different cultures and different styles and religions and everything and they just, they seem to ignore that. I think what you guys race training is doing is really good because um, um, it's 
part of the reason why, why a book like Secret Identity is necessary is because we need more Asian American representation in all forms of media. And hopefully, if the source is created by and for Asian Americans, then the, the world at large will see the importance of Asian Americans as a, as a target audience. So, good luck, race right people's words from uh, San Diego Comic-Con. One of the gentlemen, I think he was talking about President Obama, he was an Asian guy, and his name was Benton, Benton Jew. So that was very interesting when I saw that. And he made some interesting comments. But one thing I kind of said was someone had talked about how Avatar was forward-thinking. Okay. Now, it was forward-thinking in technology, but it wasn't forward-thinking in terms of storyline. So anyways, let's take another break here on this side of the music. And for those out there, let's do a little mix here, of, uh, a little, uh, maybe a little ambient if we have enough time here.
Paris du Plan. Inverse du Plan. Watch your love, Euromix. People in our remaining seconds here is Hollywood Colorblind Color Struck. Want to give a shout out to a few folks out there in our remaining seconds here. Jamie Burke, Colette Denar, Carrie Yoder, Kia Spells, Sissy Graff. I already gave you a shout out. Oh my God, I'm not forgetting anybody. Chantel Hubbard, uh, Jamie George from Cool Careers. Check her out on Facebook. Jamie George, I'm going to give her a shout out. Shout out to Origination, Home Congo. Everybody out there, thanks for your support. A few seconds left. Thanks for tuning in. Do we answer the question? Do we create the question? Do we create more debate? Do we end the debate? Who knows? You know, I just want to create the thought. People, seconds left. Sorry, Cassie Dalinga, live and direct from Valencia, California. I'm gone. Thanks for tuning in. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.